welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. Today, we're going to be taking a look at leadership through the lens of a two-star general. I'm excited to welcome to the podcast today, General Brent Baker, who is a retired two-star general with the U.S. Air Force. Uh, He recently published a book on leadership with a collection of personal experiences over his 37-year United States Air Force career. Uh, And he also currently leads PTC's Federal uh, Aerospace and Defense Business Unit. General Baker, welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. Thank you, Sarah. It's, uh, It's really my pleasure to be here. It's exciting. Yes, I'm excited to have you. Okay, so I um, I got approval on this beforehand, and I'm going to switch to calling you Brent. So I just want to want to throw that out there for the listeners that I uh, I okay Perfect. that. Um, so Brent, tell us a little bit more about your journey and uh, how that you know led itself to to this new book. Sure. Well, I I really come from a military family. My my father served. I had uncles that served. So. I always kind of thought I would end up joining the military and serving my country, and I did. So right after high school, I joined the United States Air Force, and I spent six years as an enlisted member. Uh, then I went to officer training school and became an officer and uh, spent 31 years really doing all things logistics uh, for the Air Force. And I was very blessed and fortunate. I was promoted along the way and actually made the rank of major general. So uh, when you're an enlisted member and become an officer, that, that term is called a Mustang. And it's it's fairly rare to have you know a Mustang officer. And then for those that, that make general officer, I think it's even rare. I don't know the exact percentage, but it's a very small percentage. So I was just really blessed uh, to have an amazing Air Force career. Uh, I was a seven-time commander of different organizations from small units to very uh, large units. I spent a lot of time uh, you know throughout the country. Uh, overseas, moved 27 times in uh, 37 years. So uh, we did a lot of moving, but uh, it was a really a wonderful Air Force career. And then I just transitioned into the private sector, as as you mentioned, working for PTC, doing really uh, all, all kinds of the latest technology and software. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I guess before we even get into the questions that, that I had planned, um, how long ago was that transition? into into the public sector? So I, I've been, I transitioned out of the Air Force a little, it's almost seven years. It'll be seven years this okay. summer. So how would you describe the biggest differences in leadership between the military and the public sector? Well, that's actually a wonderful question because before you leave the service, I, I don't think it's just the Air Force. You hear this in different services you kind of hear all these horror stories. Oh, it's, you know, it's dog eat dog in the private sector. And the only thing that matters is making the almighty dollar. And, but I will tell you, that has not been my experience. Uh, I've actually worked, I w- just did some consulting for a company. And then I worked with PTC and uh, it, it's been uh, in, in a good way, very surprising how ethical uh, these companies are and how much teamwork matters. And so my transition has actually been fairly easy because I feel like the companies that I've worked for, they're very similar to the Air Force. When you talk about like, you know, being honest and doing what's right and the importance of teamwork. So so it, it's been about six years or so, but it, it really doesn't feel that much different to me, to be quite honest. You know, it's so funny how, you know, of course we all have our preconceived notions. You know, anyone that says they don't is is lying. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, 
that wasn't the answer I was expecting. And the reason is because now don't get me wrong. Of course, I would expect that things like integrity and honesty would be a part of the military experience. But to be quite honest, when you said that the impression in the military is that the private sector is more dog eat dog, I would think the opposite. Like I would think that the military experience is very like harsh and hard and, you know, like, um, and that's probably because of the perception that's created around a lot of it. But I think that's really interesting. Um, that, that just wasn't, uh, the answer I was, I was expecting. So I think we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go. Um, because we're, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the experiences you had with leaders, um, you know, in, in the military and, and some of the, the experiences you had as a leader. Um, and then, you know, we can also talk about what that's looked like since uh, you've been on the outside. Right. <laughs> so um, when you think about your, your journey um, and you think of, of examples of leaders who had a very positive impact on you, um, what was it about their leadership styles or traits um, or tactics that left such a lasting impression? Well, I I think one key characteristic is I I was really always drawn to those folks that I feel like lead by example. Uh, You know, they don't just say, you know, a bunch of words, hey, here's some expectations and they go do the opposite. I I think I was really kind of drawn to leaders that, that would give you that speech, if you will, here's what we're going to do, that then did it themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I've had a variety of leaders and, you know, commanders and bosses throughout my years, and they're all very, they're all different as really as night and day. But I think that's one really attribute I would say is like this leading by example. Uh, another great example is, or another great uh, attribute I look for, I think was kind of drawn to uh, is those folks that really took care of their people. You know, again, there's a lot of leaders that say, oh, yeah, I, you know, I care about my people. I want to take care of them. And then they don't necessarily do that. Uh, the leaders that I, I really try to emulate, if you will, is the ones that really worked hard uh, to take care of their people. And I was very fortunate. I had some amazing bosses throughout my career that, that really helped me to get to where uh, I, I ended up. I would That would have never happened without them, like putting me in for special awards or, you know, recognize me with a decoration or things like that. And that, that just showed me that's what I needed to do for my people. And so those are just really a, a couple examples of things I just noticed r- really in great leaders. And that's either in the Air Force or on the private sector side as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, what you're describing and, and even going back to the first question I asked just about your journey, you know, you said a couple of times how fortunate you've been. Um, and I think it's really important when, you know, someone can reflect on what they've achieved um, and recognize that it isn't a solitary effort. Okay. So, you know, the reality is there are a lot of people that work hard that for a variety of reasons don't achieve certain, you know, goals or objectives or statuses or what have you. And, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that. I also think it's indicative of um, like the type of character that makes for a strong leader, because there's this recognition that you can't do it alone. 
right? And so when you talk about the attribute of, you know, the leaders you most admired took care of their people, I think it's because really good leaders recognize that they really aren't that great on their own. They are, you know, as strong as the sum of their parts, right? And so the more they, you know, recognize and value and nurture their teams, the better they become. You know, it's the ones who are kind of self-centered and and power hungry who, you know, you feel bad when you work for them because you hear them talk about an accomplishment and they never mention the 20 people that helped them achieve right. that accomplishment. I mean, those are the the opposite of what you're referring to. And I, I'm not exactly sure what, you know, adjectives you would use to describe those differences. But I do absolutely agree with you that, you know, one of um, the the strongest, strongest leadership traits uh, of, of today is this idea of, you know, taking the focus off of you and, you know, um, sharing that with, you know, the people that um, are on your teams. So no, Sarah, Sarah, I agree 100%. As a matter of fact, one of the key, I would say one of the, the lines that kind of flows throughout my book is this idea of servant leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, some folks think well, you're the leader, you're on top, you, everybody's serving you. And really the, the view is really kind of the opposite. Yes, you are the leader, but you're responsible for all these people. And part of your success is making sure they're successful. And so it's kind of taking that old mentality of, you know, I'm in charge, I'm the leader, I'm do everything, kind of switching that around and say, you're very fortunate, you're very blessed to be the leader. How are you taking care of the mission? How are you taking care of the people? It's just a different mindset. And that that's one of the themes that I've tried to weave uh, throughout my book. And the, the other one is, like, I think we're all leaders. You know, I tell folks all the time, everybody has a leadership role. You may not consider yourself a leader, but you're, you're leading someone, whether it's in church or a sports program or, you know, your family. And so I, I tried to really kind of weave that theme in there as well. It's like everyone's a leader and it's very important that you understand that. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to the servant leadership thing, um, I think that's a really good point. But I would say, here's a comment. I want to see if you agree with this. Um, I think servant leadership is important. Uh, I think there are a growing percentage of leaders who kind of embrace that mentality because they genuinely want to have a positive impact on people's lives. Okay. But let's take altruism out of the equation. Okay. And let's just look at it in terms of um, profit and loss, hitting goals, achieving objectives. There's also a reality that Anything but servant leadership, anything but building up teams is a recipe for failure today. And I think that's the nature of the the digital age. You know, I mean, the fact that business is not today what it was 20 or 30 years ago, the, the pace of change is so fast. The amount of data and volume of decision making and the diversity and skill sets that a company needs to be successful, the idea of being like the one at the top is it's an impossible goal to have anymore, which is why the leaders that are most successful are the ones who can, you know, curate the best team of talent 
and then empower that talent to do what it is they're good at. And I think the acknowledgement of that is kind of looking at the role servant leadership can play in helping your organization be successful. That's not to say don't do it for the right reasons. Do you know what I mean? Or do it because it's the right thing to do. But I'm just saying that, you know, this old mentality of, you know, dog eat dog and, you know, um, do what whatever it takes at all costs, drive hard, treat people, you know, like uh, lines on a spreadsheet type of thing, right? Um, it just is not conducive to thriving in today's ecosystem. So I think there's something to be said too about acknowledging the fact that this idea of servant leadership is is really a tool to help you, you know, grow your bottom line at the end of the day. I, no, I, I I agree. I you know you I think you're, you're talking a little bit about situational uh, leadership as well. I think you have to really understand those folks that you lead. You know, there are times when you have to be very directive. Like if you're in a major crisis, I mean, obviously you have to be very directive in nature. But for the most part, I, I think you're exactly right. You know, folks have changed throughout time. Technology has changed. People have been asked to do a lot more today than they've ever had to do. And I think a successful leader is one that's really understands that and is really a good team builder that's able to build really good and effective teams. I think you'll get a lot more out out of your team, if you will, uh, when you operate and lead that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I asked you about the traits of the leaders that stand out in your mind. Um, When you think about you know, your own leadership, what, you know, characteristics or uh, moments are you most proud of? Well, some of the moments I'm really proud of is, is I talk a little bit about leading by example. I, I would th- say that's probably my, my strategy for leadership. I never really ask anyone to do anything that I hadn't done or wasn't doing at, at the time. You know, a great example is Air Force implemented a new uh, physical training uh, program, if you will. And I was one of the first people to go out and really embrace it and and lead teams and make sure that people were struggling, were able to pass the new PT test. So I've always tried to do that in everything I've done. The, the other thing I've really worked hard on is communication. And that's another key part I've got in my book about the importance of communication. Because it, I think it's one of the toughest things we do I mean, we've all played that telephone game where you start a conversation at one end of the room and, you know, by the other end, the message is completely changed. And mm-hmm. so I really worked hard on to communicate uh, my message and, and the proper message. And, and sometimes I had very large organizations. And so I had to be very creative how I, I did that. And then the other one I would just say is uh, kind of the power of being positive. Well, which I really learned from my wife. She's a very positive person. And I wasn't always positive in my life. And I started kind of, you know, again, looking at her leadership style. And I quickly realized that it, it's really very powerful, this powerful, you know, being positive. And so I started using that in my leadership style as well. So those are some of the things I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of that I was able to be the leader. And, you know, I think most people really enjoyed working uh, with me. And uh, so those are maybe two or three of the really big, big ones. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you said you feel like everyone needs to recognize that they're a leader in some way. Okay. 
Um, however, that doesn't necessarily mean everyone's a good leader, right? right. Um, so if you if you think about good leaders, uh, like really good, great leaders, do you feel like those leaders are born or made? I've really thought a lot about that, and I even address that uh, in, in my book. And I, I really think it's a combination. I, I I do believe there are some people that are just born with natural leadership traits that maybe are more conducive to leadership. But but having said that, even if you don't have those inherent or born skills, I personally believe you can still be a great leader. And uh, so to me, it's a combination. Uh, of, of both these, you know, kind of what you're born with, and then and then also being a great student of leadership, and that's another reason I, I really felt compelled to take the time to write this book. Because one thing I tried to do throughout my life and career is really look for those good and bad leadership examples, and to really learn, uh, learn from those. And then I also did a lot of reading. If I could find a leadership book, I would read it, and I really tried to make myself a student of leadership. Uh, throughout my life and, and my career. And I would also say, even if you're you're born with those traits that make you a great leader, as we've already discussed, leadership, you know, it's very situational, times change, technology changes. And so to me, uh, if you're going to continue to hone your skill, you got you to gotta constantly be a student of that skill, whatever that is. In this case, we're talking leadership. But that's why I think it's so important to constantly read and, uh, to, you know, to be a lifelong student of leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I, I would say, you know, the part that people are born with probably is more related to personality, right? Because I mean, you're not necessarily born with any skills. I mean, you you learn right. those, right? And from experience, right? But I think there are people that have certain personality characteristics that maybe make them either A, more inclined to lead well, um, and then B, you know, more, you know, um, magnetic where people are drawn to them, right? And so, um, but, you know, what's interesting, we had a, an author on the podcast I don't, a few months ago, um, Jack Wiley, and um he gave me a statistic uh, from his research. I, I want to say it was around 70%. I might be off by a percentage point, but it's 70% of leaders have not had any formal training, you know? And so um, it's interesting because, you know, there's uh, there was a book written in, I think it was 1969, The Peter Principle. I don't know if you're familiar with this, yes. but essentially... You know, the Peter principle is is for those that aren't, um, you know, this idea that uh, leaders are, um, you know, advanced uh, and promoted um, to their level of incompetence, you know, meaning you do such a good job in a role that you get promoted until at some point you're promoted into a role you're not competent to do. Right. right. And so I think this point that you're making about being a student of leadership is so very, very important because I, I think it is a bit, you know, different than kind of the older thinking of, you know, okay, well, I've achieved this level and now I just, I've earned it or I'm, I'm right. worthy of it. And now I just maintain it. Right. Um, 
you know, I, I don't think that's, that's the way to do it. And I think this idea of being aware that people change, times change, technologies right. change, as you said, and making sure that you're investing in yourself as a leader is super, super important. It, it's it's a wonderful point. And I'm familiar with the Peter principle. I've heard it throughout my career. And, and I was always uh, one of those folks where I, I never wanted to be an example of the Peter principle, if you will. And so I, so to, to me, that, that uh, student of leadership is kind of how I summarize that. I've got another part in a book where I talk about, you know, learn, grow, move. Because I, I think another way to make sure that doesn't happen or help prevent it is you know, like once you become skilled in an area and, you, and you, you've really learned it, it, it's time to move. Some people get really comfortable in a job and they do it for years. But then when you do get promoted, you have, a, have to have a new skill set. So I see that as a student of leadership is once you've kind of learned or mastered an area, you know, as best you can, you can't always control that. But the idea is as soon as you can go do something new, uh, that's the way to do it. And, and just a quick example. So when I become the vice commander of Air Force Material Command, you know, that was probably my largest uh, you know, command, if you will, you know, thousands of people, hundreds of millions, actually, I think billions of dollars. And, and I, I found myself pleasantly surprised that I was actually well prepared for that. I think it's because I had been a commander. I'd moved so many times. I'd done, you know, several different bases that was inside that command. And, and so my point is, I think being a student of leadership, that's the mentality that you have to have, that you've always got to learn, grow, move. You got to learn more. You got to understand how people think and operate today. And that, that'll help, hopefully make you avoid the Peter principle where you're always ready to lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talked about uh, leading by example. Um, we talked about uh, treating people well. We talked about communication. Um, is there anything else that comes to mind when you think about leadership traits that are timeless? Uh, I, I think, uh, and again, uh, I don't want to just emphasize, that's really what I tried to do uh, in the book is, is really write some that I think are timeless. Mm-hmm. Um, I even put a, a small thing in there about, you know, email management. I'm not sure that's timeless. We'll probably have email forever, I guess. But, but the point is I really tried to write this where these leadership examples and tips that I provide, I, I, I think are timeless. And I, I really wanted to make them like reflective and not prescriptive. And what I mean by that is, you know, I want people to be able to say like, well, what is my leadership style? You know, how do I communicate? Am I a positive person? Am I negative? But just just some simple things in here about the importance of being a mentor. I don't think that will change. I mean, people are always looking, uh, looking to, you know, to those they work with and work for. Uh, you know, how, how can they learn from you? I think being a mentor is, is really important. And, and one point I make in this book is, you know, try to mentor those with a vision that kind of know what they want to do in life. Uh, I was very, uh, you know, big on that. Again, I think we talk about taking care of your folks. I don't think that changes uh, throughout the years. I, I think that's going to be a very important uh, principle. Uh, expectations. Uh, one, one chapter I have in here is about setting expectations up front. Uh, again, I don't think that'll change. I think that's very important. So people understand who you are. Uh, one thing I always did when I took over a unit, I would set expectations up front. I would tell them about my leadership style because I wanted them to understand really, you know, who I was up front. Mm-hmm. W- one thing I would say that I, I think has changed as a result of technology, and I don't think it really should, should but as a leader, I think you have to make tough decisions. 
And I, I think that's one maybe skill set in leadership we've lost today because it's so easy with technology just to push, you know, just keep pushing the idea or the, the decision up to the next level because it's so easy today, uh, you know, with advancement of technology. But to, to me, a leader leader has to make the tough calls, has to make the tough decisions. I think that's part of being a leader. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if you think about, you know, where where you you started and some of the leadership experiences you had early on and then you know what all of this looks like today are there characteristics or or uh behaviors or um you know tactics that are i guess newer or you know maybe weren't necessary at one point that have become more so today like is there anything you know, different than the traits you consider timeless that you think are important for for folks to be thinking about today? Well, I think one that's, uh, maybe a couple comes to my mind. One is the power of technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I, you know, we've kind of discussed that, you know, that's kind of been woven throughout our discussion, but, you know, technology, I work in technology today. I'm just constantly surprised at how fast technology is changing. With the invention like the Internet of Things, augmented reality, virtual reality, you know, software as a service. I mean, we're so connected, you know, with phones and iPads and computers. To me, you can never get away from this technology. So I, I think that's one that as leaders, we really figure out. We have to figure out how to, to use it, to embrace it, uh, and, and, and to make it work for us in a positive manner. You know, a great example for the for years, the Air Force kind of tried to stay away from uh, you know, things like Facebook and Twitter and things like that. And, you know, looking back, that was probably the, a wrong decision uh, because to, to me, that's what folks use today. So we need to figure out how to embrace it. So my my point is, I, I think we got to figure out how to, to really embrace technology. And, and the other thing, too, I think we have to look at the folks that we lead, how what they respond to. You know, in my early generation, somebody, they just told us, hey, go out and do something. We just did it. They told us to do it, so we did it. You know, the young folks don't operate like that today. They want to understand why they're doing it, how it fits the mission, how it impacts the environment. I mean, they, they, they're, I think they're bigger thinkers. Uh, and, and to me, you have to really be able to understand that if you want to be a, an effective leader. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's more power in understanding it than there is uh, ignoring it or hoping it'll change. <laughs> Do you right. know what I mean? Like it's avoidance is not necessarily a good strategy. Um, okay. So, so you talked about being uh, a student of leadership um, and continuing to learn and to grow. Um, and, you know, I think that's super important, but I think that requires two parts in my mind. One is inspiration, right? So, and the other is information, but I think you know, with, with one or if you only focus on one or the other, you're lacking something, right? Because I think to your point, like this idea of, you know, being positive, right? Um, and that can look different for d- different people. It's not about sure. being fake or being, you know, a right. cheerleader, but it's about recognizing the fact that, you know, people look up to you and and what tone are you setting type of thing. I think, you know, particularly if you look at, you know, I'm sure some some hard circumstances you faced in in the Air Force and, and you know, you look at the fact that we've been in the midst of a pandemic for the last couple of years, you know, there are times where 
that's not easy to do. Um, and so that's where I think inspiration comes in. Um, and then information in the sense of, you know, really learning those new, you know, skills or uh, methodologies, phil- phil- uh, philosophies, the things that are going to help keep you um, up to speed. So how have you tackled this? You know, what sources of inspiration or information have you found most helpful over the course of your career? Well, I think my inspiration really comes from from a lot of different areas. And and what I mean by that is I, I always try to look for really good leadership and emulate that. So that, that's been inspiration for me. And, and I mentioned it earlier. I, I think you can find that in all walks of life, you know, you know, all, all different genres. I think you can look for that. And that's one thing that's really in, inspired me. And I've tried to do the same thing. I've tried to encourage people to really look around for those, you know, amazing leaders, amazing leadership models. Uh, you know, how did those folks inspire you? Or, or, you know, sometimes we learn, more, I hate to say this, but from the negative examples is maybe there was somebody that did not inspire you or, you know, made you feel bad about yourself, or maybe they were a toxic leader, things like that. I think you can learn a lot from, from that. And that, that can inspire you not to, to be like that. And, and then the other thing I've always encouraged folks to, to learn as much as they can, you know, read a variety of books, history, you know, read leadership books, uh, you know, re- read wh- whatever interests you, but really try to, even if you're not going to school, really try to expand uh, your knowledge base. Because, and, and and there's one point I make in the book, you know, as you become a really a very senior leader, you have less time to, to be inspired, to to read, to do all those things. You got to do that to me as you're up and coming. And I, I use a diagram of an hourglasses because once you kind of go through the hourglass, that time you had to learn and grow and be inspired. Now you're the senior leader. You don't have that time. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are folks that wait maybe, you know, very late in life to try to learn some of this. And it, it, it's really too late. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, okay. So any other words of wisdom for, uh, for people related to, to leadership? Well, I, I, you know, we talked a little bit about my book. I hope folks will pick it up. And I, I really want to tell you my, my motivation for writing the book was uh, I, I've been a student of leadership throughout my life and career, as I mentioned earlier. And I, I wanted to get my thoughts down uh, on paper. And I hope people will pick it up and read it. I've got 50 leadership tips in there. I got 25 different chapters. I, I think it's very easy to read. I try to use you know a lot of good examples, a few bad examples woven into give And again, I, I wrote to be reflective, not necessarily prescriptive. But I, I would say if you're a student of leadership, even if it's not my book, just continue to to reach out, to find things like that, to continue to read, to continue to grow. Uh, don't be afraid to take chances. Uh, I think being a good leader once in a while, you, you have to take some chances. It's not always, you know, cut and perfectly dry. Sometimes you have to take chances. And I, and I think to be a good leader, you have to do that as well. Yeah. Good. All right. So the book is called Orders from the General. Um, and where can folks find the book? Well, you can find it several places. So it's it's actually on my website, which is hbrentbakersenior.com. You can find it at the publisher, which is xlibris, xlibris.com. And you can also find it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. 
And so, uh, again, I'd love for people to go out and read. I want you to know my motivation is not to make money. Uh, my real motivation is I, I hope people pick it up and they're inspired by it, pass it along to somebody else, you know, keep it in their leadership library, refer to it now and then. And uh, that, that would that would just really make me thrilled because, that again, that was my motivation for for producing it. All right. Okay, General Baker. Well, I appreciate that. Everyone go check out the book. Thank you very much for for coming and talking with me today. My pleasure, Sarah. Thanks so much. Wonderful interview. Thank you. Yes. You can find more by visiting us at futureoffieldservice.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn as well as Twitter at the Future of FS. The Future of Field Service podcast is published in partnership with IFS. You can learn more at ifs.com. As always, thank you for listening.